Hey guys, welcome back to the survival show Manly Musing segment. I'm producer Ben. Before we get into today's show, I'd just like to share with you that we do have sponsors now. So from time to time, you will hear our sponsors' pitches done by Craig, David, or me, producer Ben. Don't freak out. This is just how we pay the bills and provide you guys with free content. So it's a win-win for everyone. All right, guys, let's get into today's show. Craig, take it away. Hey there, everybody. This is Craig Cottle director of Nature Reliance School, co-host of the Survival Show podcast, coming to you today, and maybe my microphone will pick some of this up today, but coming to you today, shortly after the sun has come up in wonderful, beautiful central Kentucky, birds are singing, all the good stuff is going on, springtime, springtime is upon us, well into spring at this point. So last week, I got a chance to get out and do some turkey hunting and was very fortunate to be able to call in a turkey, put it right in my lap. Uh, Based upon a lot of knowledge outdoors, I went to the right place before I ever called, let the the, uh, owls and crows do their own calling as shock gobbles occurred because of that instead of me trying to fake it and brought a turkey in. I love being outside in the springtime and mushroom hunting and all that good stuff. But today is sort of a special day. As I record this, it's Monday, April 22nd, and today is what is commonly referred to as Earth Day. And I've got some fairly strong opinions about Earth Day environmentalism, some good, some bad. And I thought I would try to share some of those and show you why I think it's an important aspect of survival training. Earth Day is exactly what most people think it is, which is just doing what we can to take care of the Earth. And it has gotten to the point where there are a lot of people that, in my personal opinion, and these are my personal opinions, really don't do much to positively impact the Earth and then scream and yell and and argue their moralistic stance on environmentalism. And what I mean by that is that there's a lot of words that come up. And these are the four words I'm going to try to take a look at today. What I call and what's commonly referred to as preservation, then conservation, then stewardship and positive impact. Because I think that is an order by which a lot of people approach the idea of environmental impact. Let me try to explain myself. Preservation is what you think it is. It's preserving what's there. And I'm not much of a fan of preservation for the sake of preservation. Quite frankly, I think it's a pretty lazy approach to being a part of the earth, being part of a wilderness, being part of a city, wherever it might be, preserving what is there, just for the sake of preservation. Uh, case in point, there's a one of the most beautiful pieces of, of uh, public land here in Kentucky, a small area called Buckley Wildlife Nature Preserve. It's over in the 
if you're not from this area, most people that listen to this are not from Central Kentucky, but a lot of you are. It's over near Frankfurt and Versailles in between that area. I actually think it's in Woodford County, but I'm not sure. But nevertheless, one of the things that happened there was, and I'm not going to knock the organization that had it before. I'll, matter of fact, I'll leave them anonymous. But when that property was donated, it was stated that it would have to be a preserve. And because of that, nothing could be cut on it. No trees could be harvested. No plants should be cut other than actual mowing. And so what ended up happening is the property was just overtaken with bush honeysuckle, uh, Japanese honeysuckle and the like. And it's very unfortunate that it is in the state that it is because now it's not a place that you can really, or most of the land, I should say, most of the land is not a place that you can really go out and, and, and recreate in. Uh, there's some open fields, yeah, there's a pavilion. And again, it's a beautiful site. But for years, you just couldn't get into the forest in a lot of the areas because the bush honeysuckle was just simply too thick. And because of the way the deed had been done, they couldn't cut it. So fortunately, uh, Life Adventure Center which I do, uh, which I don't do now, but I have done a lot of work with Life Adventure Center out of Versailles. They, I don't know how they worked it, but they ended up taking over the uh, oversight of it. I don't know if they own it now. I actually don't know, but but how they worked the deed and how all that came about, and they now have a positive impact on that property. They are now removing um, a, a goodly portion of the bush honeysuckle, and because of that, the forest is responding uh, the wildlife is responding in a positive manner. Conservation is, in my mind, a step up from preservation. Because, again, preservation is, is you basically just let a piece of land go and you don't do anything with it. You preserve it. You take the steps to isolate it such that people can't do anything to it. Conservation is where you do your best to conserve resources, but you are more of an active participant of being with a piece of property. Now, how this, in my mind, this is what is starting to get into the realms of survival mindset. Because as we look at a, let's say we want to focus our attention on wilderness survival, we need to know the plants, the trees, the wildlife that are in an area. And one of the best ways that you can get to the point where you can, for example, become a good trapper and know where to set up traps for survival training is to be heavily involved in the conservation and this next word that I like to use, which is stewardship of a piece of land. There's the farm that I'm sitting here recording on is a farm that I used to own and I sold it to a good friend of mine and, and I started a lot of habitat improvement practices here. And he has carried those on in an even bigger way and in, in an even bigger impact than I did when I had the property. He's had it much longer than I have, and he's done some fantastic things here. And the reason I bring these up is that for me to, let's say, for example, that I was stuck on this piece of property and had to survive, it would almost be like cheating because I know where all the, <laughs> not all, I know where most of the squirrels are. I know where the habitual travel corridors are for the deer, for the turkey, for nearly all the wildlife here. Uh, I can take you, when it gets warm, I can take you to a spot and I know I can find a snake, for example. Uh, I know where I could sit up in the mornings and the turkeys are going to come by me. 
and on and on and on. So these are things that, because I've been heavily involved, as I'm sitting here recording this, the deer comes running by me. <laughs> That's pretty cool. But uh, one of the things that that uh, I did when I had this property is I created a bunch of nesting structures. Some of those were built by um, boards and stuff of that nature and, and placed in very important parts of the farm to increase um, wood duck activity, to increase owl activity. So they had some nesting structures. Uh, this particular forested area did not have a large amount of big trees that were dead that provided uh, adequate nesting structures for owls. And so I I changed the dynamic of this property and brought in nesting structures. I built them myself and hung them, and it increased the population of of uh, barred owls in particular in this on this property. And that is basically blurring the lines between what I said is conservation and stewardship, and then even blurs even more into what I would call positive impact. And I don't have a better term for it other than I try to have a positive impact on this farm. Some of that is uh, personal. Uh, some of it is just because I like to look at wildlife, but also from a survival perspective, from a hunter-vationist, uh, a, a hunter that is tries to be a conservationist as well, uh, I have always tried wherever I like to hunt, fish, recreate, particularly the areas that I like to hunt, is... If I'm going to take a deer off a piece of property, I want to make sure that I have done everything I possibly can to increase the deer population or at least make sure that they are a healthy herd. And same thing with the turkeys, same things with the grouse, same things with my my dad has done this on his farm with quail and rabbits. Um, This property that I'm on now is not conducive for a lot of rabbit or quail, but but the things that we could have the ability to hunt back when I had the farm, these animals weren't here that much. Uh, they would pass through, but they weren't hanging out here. Now, the dynamic of this forested area, basically because we've opened up some areas um, on this farm where there's some grasses that are more attractive to the wildlife. Uh, there's some areas where other wildlife can find nesting structures, both ones that we've built as ones when we cut trees down, like if, if a tree falls on a road out here, I cut it up and I create a nesting structure very nearby instead of, uh, well, obviously sometimes I take some of the wood off or firewood, but, but at the same time, I try to have a positive impact with everything that I do here. It's just good management practices. And many thanks to the Kentucky Division of Forestry and Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife for educating me on those things. I went through some training and and had good access to really professional biologists and foresters who taught me these things. And that way I try to have a positive impact on the on the areas in which I recreate and hunt. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When I teach, for example, when I teach a survival class and I'm teaching how to hunt or trap, 
or gather food or whatever, I'm on a regular basis doing what I can to teach the students how they can have a positive impact. And what that does is it allows us to leave a class and allows us to go out and purpose ourselves to be involved in the environment in which we have access to. And at the same time, we learn so much. So, you know, again, for me to set up traps on this farm to catch some squirrels, for example, snare traps or something, um, would be, I mean, I can walk you right now in, in a minute and a half from where I'm sitting, and I can catch a squirrel today. There's no doubt in my mind. And because of that... Or, or the reason I can do that is not because I'm super cool or smart or, or better hunter than anybody. It's mainly due because I've become very intimate with this piece of property and I know and I spend a lot of time in it, working it and trying to have a positive impact on it such that I can see the patterns of wildlife. And so that's very beneficial to me. So again, preservation, conservation, stewardship and positive impact is is from my opinion, uh, just a good method to go about uh, working with an environment and that way you can, which is what I say all the time to our students, be kind to nature and nature will be kind to you. The more you work with a natural environment, the more you learn from it and the more you will be able to take care of it. And so this idea of preservation, and this is what I, you know, I heard a, a, a pretty well-known psychologist the other day say that that most of these environmental folks have a, a basically a pseudo moralistic stance for the purpose of impressing their friends and their neighbors, and I really that really struck a, a a positive note in my mind when I heard that because it seems like, you know, it's easy to sit on a computer screen on social media and scream and yell or, or protest or do something, but it's another thing altogether to get a chainsaw cut some trees down and build a nesting structure, right? And when I say cut a tree down, and not cut a tree down for the purpose of cutting the tree down, but like, for example, where I sit right here, I see a poplar tree that has fallen due to high winds, and it's not going to survive. It's dangerous for people that might be in the area. I will more than likely cut that poplar tree down because it's halfway down already. I will build a nesting structure out of it. I will take logs and utilize them for firewood. I'll probably build some... Uh, some uh, bushcraft projects with it. I'll probably cut some up and give it to Tracy Trimble so he can make some bowls. I mean, there's just a whole host of things that I can do instead of that tree just falling that I can also do with it to utilize it. And that is me being heavily involved. And again, some of the training that I did with the Fish and Wildlife and Division of Forestry told me that there are certain trees at certain times that the best thing you can do is just let them stand and die. And, you know, for example, you, you take a tree, you know, it's, it's going to be in the way or it's dying, or maybe if you, if you helped it die by girdling it or something of that nature, um, because it, it's the type of tree that doesn't have a whole lot of benefit for the wildlife or for the forest, you can girdle it. And in the process of dying, it brings in bugs and woodpeckers come in and feed off the bugs and woodpeckers dig holes in trying to find the bugs. And so nesting cavities are created for owls, for squirrels, for any number of small animals, and then eventually it falls, and then again, worms and 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 small bugs and beetles and stuff get on it. The turkeys eat that. If there's bears in the area, they would get in there and eat that. On and on and on and on and on. And so, you, if if you know how to work with an environment, if you're a good steward of it, then you can definitely 
have that positive impact that I encourage people to look at. Now, with that said, don't assume that you know everything you need to know about an environment. Train with professionals. Uh, if you have access to biologists or foresters for a woodlot in particular, then do your best to work with them because they are educated and on the subject matter, and they'll be able to help you. Okay, More often than not, particularly here in the state of Kentucky, I, I, could, I can attest that wildlife biologists and foresters are some of the the most well-meaning and well-intended people to help the environment and not be enviro-terrorist, enviro uh, meaning that they just scream and yell and they don't actually do anything. Most of the time they want to work with the environment. Now, what I, what I thought I'd also do here is to go through the basically the seven steps and I'm going to add one because it seems like Leave No Trace is going to add one too. The seven steps of Leave No Trace because Leave No Trace is another one of those things that that um, I've got fairly amount of good problems with. Not the program or not the or not the not the principles themselves, but the people that that again are more preservation minded and not positive impact minded and. So what I thought I'd do is I'd share these seven steps here on Earth Day, work our way through them and see how we can not only be preservationists, but we can also be those that have a positive impact. Okay, step number one is plan ahead and prepare. So, you know, if you've listened to me, if you've read our my books, if you've uh, read my blogs, been to a class, you know I'm all about planning ahead and preparing. That's why we've had people like Tracy Trimble on talking about how to get ready before going in the woods so you don't have to need him as a search and rescue volunteer. Um, the things that we do training law enforcement so that, you know, your typical law enforcement officer is usually in a typical not, and the most of law enforcement officers are somebody that runs around in an urban or suburban environment. And, you know, rural operations are something they might do uh, only occasionally. So we try to prepare them, get them ready. But for us as average ordinary individuals, plan ahead and prepare. Make sure that you have the right gear when you go outside. And always assume that you're going to spend the night outside, even if you're going out for an hour to look for morel mushrooms. Just expect that you're going to go and spend the night. So at least have some fundamental things that would keep you alive. You don't necessarily have to take your bedroll and a sleeping pad and all the stuff like you're going backpacking. But at least plan ahead as if you're going to stay the night out. Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Number two, travel and camp on durable surfaces. I get it. You know, there's there's trails, and here in Kentucky, the Red River Gorge, which is an, an incredibly uh, busy part of Kentucky for uh, visitors, visitors coming into Kentucky and visiting Red River Gorge. It's a beautiful place. But one of the things that we're experiencing here is that, number one, people get lost. And one of the reasons they get lost is because there's a lot of local people and there's a lot of people that are actually not local and think that they know what they're doing that make user trails out through the middle of the forest. And um, that has led people to go off of a durable trail and head off into a user trail and get lost or get injured or, or any number of things. And so... For those that are not familiar with being outside, then we highly recommend that you get on a, a durable surface, stay on the trail. If it looks like it's at a high slope or if it doesn't look like there's actually something that's been cut out of the forest, it, you know, it's it looks just like some leaves have been moved away, then that's probably a user trail instead of a, a defined trail. So stay on those durable surfaces. If you're going to camp, Try to camp in places where other people have camped to minimize impact. And that is, that's pretty significant. And the reason we do this is that we can limit the number of backcountry spots. Uh, if you are going to go in a backcountry and you want to go off trail, which I'm a big fan of, just try to have as low impact as you possibly can, then check out hammocking. Uh, if, if, if you've never done that, check that out because... You can put a couple of straps on a tree, hang a hammock, and you're going to have such minimal impact on the on the ground itself. And from a tactical perspective, even that's the way I like to do things. You know, you, I just I don't want people to find me when I go out in the woods. Um, a good tracker or something like that would be able to find me, and that's why I tell people where I'm going and what I'm doing and that sort of thing. But at the same time, I have I leave very little sign when I go out when I'm purposely going out for my own purposes. Uh, number three is dispose of waste properly. You know, a lot of the federal properties here in the, our country, here in the U.S., required you to pack out your own feces. And if you are traveling an area where that's required, you need to do it. However, uh, one of the, then this is one of the problems, and I got into it with a, a leave no trace person uh, online one day, which is, you know, my fault, stupidity on my part, but. You know, they said that there's a certain amount of inches you should dig a cat hole and you put your waste into it and you cover it with this and you and you uh, put a rock on or ver various things that you do. And I said, well, what if it was two inches deeper? And no, you can't do it. You can't do this. And, and so it gets to this argumentation that's based upon a certain amount of inches, for example. And really, this is, goes back to what I was meaning by positive impact. Let's say that we've got to leave... Our, or let's say we're going to leave our human waste, our feces and urine, what have you, and we're going to put it in a hole, which I do recommend. I highly recommend we do that when we're out so other people don't get step in it, so other people don't have to smell it, so it has as least amount of impact on the wildlife in the area. Then you should study the area as best you can and know that, you know, this type of environment, it breaks down. Uh, rather quickly and you don't put it in a stream bed you don't put it in a wash because you know there's a good chance water will wash all that away and now you've got the water that's infiltrated with human feces and you just want to dispose of your waste properly now as far as your your uh, campfire food and stuff of that nature um, 
then, you know, you need to carry all that waste out. If you're carrying it in, you got to carry it out. But here's where I have a problem with it is that when you take your stuff out of the, let's say, the, the Red River Gorge or, you know, whatever forest or national area or even state area that you like to recreate in, when you take it out of the forest and you throw it away, where is a way? Ask yourself, where is a way? I mean, it's not like we're blasting this stuff out into the atmosphere somewhere or out into space in such a way that, you know, it's gone off the planet. It's still on planet Earth. Are you, you, you're just moving it somewhere else. So I'm not advocating you just leave your garbage in a national area because, number one, that's just rude. Number two, it's, it's whatever. But, but um, it, it's just wrong. Landfills are made for that purpose. But do what you can to minimize and utilize things that are going to break down as best you can um, or something you can reuse. If you can carry food in a reusable whatever, then you don't have as much waste. And so that's not a bad idea at all. Uh, the next is leave what you find. Okay. Now this is one that I definitely disagree with uh, in many respects. I agree and I disagree with it. So, um, I'm not saying you should take stuff from any area, but what I am saying is there's sometimes like we were talking about with preservation, there's some things you need to pull up. For example, garlic mustard is an invasive species of plant here in Kentucky. It's a real problem. And so if you, if I see garlic mustard right next to the trail, by golly, I'm going to pull it up. I'm going to destroy it. I'm not going to, I'm going to make sure that it's hard for it to seed. I'm going to destroy it. And so, um, you know, that's just me knowing the plants and the different things that might grow in my area and definitely, definitely knowing it such that I can have a positive impact instead of just a preservation mindset. And again, I want to emphasize, if you're going to do that, you need to have some good training. I, I've, you can look at my bio on my website, naturereliance.org. You know, I'm a certified naturalist. I've gone through training for habitat improvement with state on several different things. I'm constantly learning things. It's my personal, uh, my personal mission. Um, does it have something to do with survival? You betcha. You know, if you know that garlic mustard is something that's inedible, and that's how I got to understand that it's an invasive species too, then I tell people all the time, as far as, you know, you're going out and you want to harvest some some um, edibles and you see some garlic mustard, pull every bit of it up, all of it, pull it up. And that way you'll have a good edible and you're going to help keep it from being the invasive species that it is. Same thing is true with other edibles, uh, like, you know, here's something I picked up when, when, uh, a friend of mine was teaching me about mushrooms. Mushrooms are basically the fruit of a, of a species. Okay. So when you pull a mushroom up and it, di and it starts that dying process and it releases spores, then, then you are helping to grow more mushrooms. If you just leave it, for example, preservation mindset and you don't pick up the morels or chicken of the woods or lion's mane or whatever kind of mushroom it is, then basically, yeah, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with leaving it, but I'm just saying if you pick it up and you help spread the spores, then more than likely you'll help grow more mushrooms because really what you're seeing there when you see a mushroom is the fruit. And so you can harvest it all day long and it's not going to hurt that, that species. And so it actually helps it by harvesting it. And this is going to sound crazy, but if you see some morels, and let's say you don't want to harvest them, 
but you know other people like them, you could pull them up and just let them die right there. Now, that sounds crazy to a lot of people, but actually that will help grow more morels. And so that's why, you know, a good mushroom hunter is going to carry their mushrooms out on a sack, uh, um, you know, uh, a sack that's porous so that when they're carrying out, they're bouncing those mushrooms and spores are dropping as they walk out. Next is minimize fire impacts. One of the things I try to encourage people is to cold camp if you've never tried it. And that's where you basically, if you're going to cook food, you take a, a backpacker stove or something of that nature and you don't have to build a campfire. I must admit that one of the things that I love about being outdoors is campfires. And so I do uh I do uh, like to build campfires, but I, number one, I know how to harvest wood that's dead. Uh, we've talked about that. We've done videos on that. That's important. At the same time, um, I plant, you know, I teach survival, so I cut a lot of trees down through a year. My students cut a lot of trees down through a year, but I guarantee you I've already planted more trees this year than my students will cut down in a year by a long shot by a long shot i plant hundreds of trees every year and uh, this time of year is the time to do it and if you can check with your universities or your uh, division of forestries in your state wherever you find yourself more than likely you're going to be able to find trees very cheap and sometimes even free uh, so i have some contacts that they have programs where they give trees away and if they have some leftover, they just call me and I go get them and I plant them because they know I'm going to plant them and they know I know how to plant them. So that kind of stuff is important because I, I, you know, again, try to have a positive impact on the environment. Respect wildlife. Yeah, this is a biggie for me. And if you've ever come to one of my classes, you know this. If you see a toad, a snake, a squirrel or anything and you want to pick it up, by golly, go ahead and pick it up. But you are going to eat it. Uh, I'm not a fan of picking up stuff just to say, hey, look at me. I can pick up a snake. I think that's quite foolish, actually, unless you are in the business of studying that animal. There's not much that you can't determine without a monocular and just your own eyes, okay? Meaning just check it out from a distance. If you want to get real close to it and look at something like, you know, does this snake have a, a round pupil or a slanted pupil, Um you know, which is a lot of people talk about with venomous snakes and versus uh, or non-venomous snakes versus venomous snakes. Then get a monocular. Come on, I mean, you can do it with a monocular or binoculars, and check that critter out and just leave it be. I, I'm just not a fan of messing with wildlife. Um, again, I like to hunt, but again, I do everything I can to make an area such that it's more uh, wildlife friendly. And then I take only the animals that that uh, will work within that environment. Like the, the farm that I like to hunt on here that I'm sitting on right now, I'm not turkey hunting on it this year. There just doesn't seem to be as many turkeys here. Although we had three big nesting hatches last year, they've moved on and they're not here. So I'm not going to kill a turkey here. I went to another farm and killed uh, a, a turkey where there's, you know, so many turkeys that they're just coming out their ears there. And so... That's where I respect the wildlife. You know, some people go, well, that sounds crazy. You know, I did a podcast a few weeks ago on Huntervationist, and I want to try to get some other people in here like Steve Ranella and and these guys that are, you know, real popular and, and well-known hunters and, and get them on to talk about Huntervation. So if anybody has a contact for those guys, get, get them on here with me. 
Next is be considerate of others. Being considerate of others is obviously not, you know, I saw a post on social media the other day, should you play your music when you're in the backcountry or not? Yeah, no, you shouldn't, you know? I mean, people don't go out into the middle of the woods to listen to your stupid music, right? And just because you like the music doesn't mean that everybody should like your music or wants to listen to it. Uh, if we want to listen to your music, we'd have it on. So if you listen to music in a campground or in a, the backcountry somewhere, then limit its volume so that you're listening to it, but not everybody that's around you. Uh, other things is when you leave a campsite, you need to leave that campsite in such a way as if you were never there. Do everything you can to mitigate any of the problems that you may have uh, left there. Fire, and I didn't mention this with with fire, is is uh, when you leave a spot, if there's any steam or if there's any smoke coming off that fire, then you need to stay there. There's no ands, ifs, or buts about it. You need to put more water, put more dirt on that fire so that when you leave, there is no, there's no way in the world that that's going to catch fire again. And people do this all the time. They put water on it and it's smoking and stuff of that nature. And they, hey, it's out one. I can tell you from experience, uh, I've seen a bunch of fires that we have put out at a class, for example, that continue to flame up. And if wind catches it and flames it up, then you could catch a whole forest on fire. So be considerate of others with campsites. And at the same time, go out and you enjoy yourself. But I, I like to, I like to leave a place and try to leave it in such a way that people could never find me. And that way I'm limiting my impact. And at the same time, being a little bit tactically sound as well. And, and I believe that's all the seven principles for leave no trace, but there's one that I think they're considering adding and maybe they have, but we talk about it all the time is just consider what you do on social media when it comes to going outdoors. And what I mean by that is if you're going out and you're bushcrafting and you're building all these shelters and stuff of that nature, you've got to dismantle those things. Um, and you don't necessarily need to be posting about it. It seems like ego gets involved with everything that we're involved in in this world. And people build these shelters and then they take pictures of them and, hey, look at me. And it's more about what you present on social media than it is what you're actually doing to learn. Okay. So the other part of this is, hey, look at this beautiful view. And if somebody sees you taking a picture of yourself at a beautiful view, then then uh, they want to go see that view too. And so it increases the amount of, of uh, travel. For example, again, I speak of the Red River Gorge because I've been heavily involved in trying to help change things there in our state here. Uh, there was a spot where somebody took a, just a fantastic, beautiful photo. And the next weekend, there were hundreds of people there hanging in hammocks. And, uh, it was just, it's just because of just the photo that was taken. And so, you know, I'm considering trying to put something together where you basically have a puzzle piece you have to get together if you want to get to a spot. For example, uh, teach some use. If you're going to take pictures, don't say, Hey, this, you get on this trail and go to this direction and you do this to get to this spot, then lead them teach them some land navigation, teach them some wilderness navigation. Hey, shameless plug for the book, Essential Wilderness Navigation again. Check that book out, uh, link in the description below, my latest book that came out, co-authored with Tracy Trimble. But you can, you can, uh, hey, uh, say this is where this is, the coordinates. And if people don't know how to use coordinates, they don't know how to get there. Or say, I left the coordinates for this on a piece of paper, for example, 
that's going to decay under a rock. And so here's how you get to that rock. And so people have to go to that rock first before they go to the other spot. You know, that's somebody that's committed. They're learning wilderness navigation. And you can utilize that to help teach people and get people outside doing other things and just going to one spot and destroying it. Okay. So, again, today's Earth Day. And that's some of my opinions. As always, feel free to email me at info at naturereliance.org. And that way you can get your feedback back to me on what you think about my opinions and all that kind of good stuff. And uh, that way uh, I, I love hearing what people have to say about my opinions, good and bad. Uh, I like I like good discussion and I like being able to have uh, different viewpoints that people share with me so I can consider my viewpoints. Sometimes my viewpoints change. Sometimes my viewpoints are strengthened even more uh, by having these discussions. And so... That way we can all, you know, the way we do it at Nature Line School is come on, join in, let's learn together, right? And that's the way we've always done things. And uh, thanks to Tracy Trimble for coming up with that. But uh, that's been our motto for a long time. And uh, we're very glad to be part of a community of people and glad that you are part of our community here at the Survival Show Podcast. So that's it for Manly Musings. Thanks for joining me again. Keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp. <laughs>